The following audio is from Restoration Southside Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, where our mission is to restore people and places through outreach, authenticity, and sacrifice. For more information, visit restorationsouthside.org. Anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, Why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And they brought one. And he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. And Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. If you are in kindergarten through fifth grade and you would like to go to children's church, please join our volunteers by the kids' zone sign. And if it's your child's first time in children's church, please go with them so we can get them checked in. Thanks, Laura, for reading. Well, we are in the midst of um, Mark as we are in chapter 12. What happens in Mark is kind of a 50-50 breakup. Uh, what happens in the first uh, 10 chapters or so? Talking about Jesus' ministry. And the last uh, half uh, speaks to the final seven days of Jesus' life, the Passion Week. And so as we're in this Passion Week, the final days, it's probably Tuesday or so of Easter week, uh, we see Jesus uh, encounter some people. And so uh, whenever we come across a text, we don't skip over particular verses and pick and choose. We're just going to uh, mow through what, what is there for us that week. And so here we are uh, in this particular part of uh, chapter 12. As we begin, I want to um, mention a show that my wife and I love, and it's Alone. Any aloners out there? Alonies? We have a few. Uh, what Alone, yeah, there you go. Uh, what Alone is, it's um, a revamped version of Man vs. Wild, where they take a group of 10 um, contestants, take them out to the wilderness. They have a list of things they can bring. And they have to make it. And people are tapping out and saying, I want to go home. And it kind of wills down. And the last person standing wins the half a million dollars, million dollars, whatever it is. And so uh, the common denominator in a loan to make it to the very end, to be the last one standing, to, to win the money, is you have to trap something. Bird, fish, uh, rabbit, whatever it is, you have to kill the animal and trap it to make it to the very end. If you don't, there's no way uh, you can make it. For Jesus, his opponents in the final days of Jesus, as he's marching to the cross, for them to win, for them to, to be the last man standing, they have to trap Jesus. They can't coexist with Jesus. Therefore, they have to take Jesus out. And what we see in this scene is a trap that they set. And the trap inverts, and actually they get caught up in it. And this whole scene that we'll see in Mark 12 answers this question. What is on the table with Jesus? What is on the table in the life of Christianity and following Jesus? What's on the table? And we'll see that answered this morning. We'll look at three things. First, uh, what he knows. Second, what we're to do. And then third, what is his? What he knows, what we're to do, and what is his? 
as we look at Mark 12 this morning, uh, let's pray and ask the Lord to be with us as we study his word. Let's pray. Lord, we encounter a story with um, certainly an idiom that we know, kind of a phrase that's uh, tattooed into us, no matter how familiar we are with you. And so this day, would you uh, prod our hearts in our lives and show us the things in which you've asked us to give you and we withhold, that we bring our whole lives into this world of your text and we'll be shown the beauty of who you are, Jesus, and the life that you offer. If we don't see that or know that, this is all for naught. So Holy Spirit, be with us this very day in this room. And would you comfort the disturbed? And Lord, would you disturb the comfortable? We ask this, Christ. Change us. In your name, amen. Uh, so first, uh, what he knows what he knows. About five years ago, my wife and I were living in a house and uh, we had a mice problem. And after doing some investigation, uh, I realized it wasn't a mouse. It was an RAT. And so uh, the word for that is disgusting. And we tried to catch it with uh, glue traps and with those little wiry things that snap your finger. Uh, all those different ways that you, things you can get at Ace Hardware, tried to catch it. And the, the rat just laughed at it. So what I had to do was swallow my pride, call up the pest control, and have them come out in order to trap this mouse. It was above my pay grade. And in this story, for the Pharisees and the Herodians to trap Jesus, it's way above their pay grade on their own. So they're uh, enemies naturally. The Pharisees are this conservative religious elite that keep the law perfectly, and that's the way that they'll find real life. And the Herodians are a group of Jews that, uh, yeah, we, we have this, this law, but, but what we really will find life in is kind of conspiring and riding the coattails of Caesar. We'll get power and prestige that way. They're naturally enemies. And to get rid of Jesus, they have to combine forces. Two enemies that hate each other are bond over the fact that they hate something and there's a, there's a Venn diagram. They hate the same thing. They want Jesus gone. They want to trap Jesus. And so we see right in the verse before this kind of section that was read, it says, and they were seeking to arrest him, and but feared the people. For they perceived that the parable he told against them, the parable of the tenants, which was talked about last week, was against them. Uh, so they left him and went away, and they sent him some Pharisees. They sent Jesus some Pharisees and Herodians to trap him in his talk. They want to get rid of Jesus because Jesus is reading their, their mail, poking and prodding at their lives. How will they set a trap for Jesus? What's the bait? Money. Want to get to the heart of the issue fast? Talk about money. I love Facebook Marketplace. And it gets real, real, real fast when you start negotiating. When you talk about money, stuff begins to get revealed. The heart of the matter gets revealed. What they're talking about is not just money, uh, but tax, right? There's this imperial tax that the Roman occupying government says, pay to us, pay to Caesar. 
and the common everyday people worked hard and they didn't like this tax. It's kind of the margin that was taken out from them against their will. And for the Pharisees, they saw it as a necessary evil. Yeah, we don't like it, but we'll pay it. It won't be there forever because our God's going to come back and take them out, wipe them away. For the Herodians, they thought, well, if we pay this tax, we'll get some prestige. We'll get some uh, political capital. And they've come to ask Jesus about taxation in relation to political occupation. If your history books tell you anything, it's a big deal. Taxation in relation to political occupation. And they come and ask Jesus about that. And here's what it says in verse 14. Um, Shantae, you can put it on the, on the screen. It says this. And they came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion. For you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, Why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. Pharisees and Herodians are whispering these sweet nothings to Jesus. They're buttering his bread. Right? They're hyping him up. And they're saying, hey, you're, you teach the way of God. And hey, you know what? You're not swayed by people. You're, you're upright. You're strong. You teach the way of God and you're true. They're trying to fool Jesus and set the trap for him. And the problem is, it's just going to invert. And they'll find themselves in the trap. They're trying to think that there's full ability in Jesus, and that very thought is foolish in itself. And that's because Jesus knows them. Not just what they're saying, right? He hears it, everyone hears it, and it's all this nice kind of sweet nothing words, but he knows exactly what's going on in their interior. He knows the intent behind the content. He knows them. This first thought, what does Jesus know? He knows their heart. What does Jesus know about you? He knows your heart. He knows your MO. He knows, he knows what you want, your thoughts, your opinions, your desires. He knows everything about you. That's the person that these people are trying to trap and deal with. And he says in verse 15, but knowing their hypocrisy, but knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, why do you put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. He knows their hypocrisy. And this word hypocrisy in our day, yes, it's not a good one. If I said to Steve, hey, Steve, you're a hypocrite. It's not a good thing. He wouldn't like that, nor would I. And that day is a theatrical word. It was, it was saying, hey, in, in theater, actors wear masks. And they put a mask on to play a character. And when you put a mask on to play a character, there's obviously a difference between the, the, the person, the actor, and the character. There's a dissonance. And what Jesus is saying is, the words you're saying to me, the exterior veneer, and the interior reality, there is a dissonance. You're hypocrites. And he knows exactly what they're asking, what they're getting at, how they're trying uh, to trap him. Jesus has a bullseye on one thing, and it's the heart. The matter of the heart of Jesus is the heart of the matter. He's after the heart. It's a long one. You can read it up here. Tim Keller shows us that he, he's after the heart. The heart 
to English speakers means emotions. But the Bible says that our thinking uh, comes from the heart as well as our willing, our plans, our decisions. This confuses us until we realize that the Bible's view of human nature is revolutionary, different than what you find in, in other human systems of thought. The heart is used as a metaphor for the seat of the most basic orientation, our deepest commitments, what we trust the most. It is what we most love and hope in, what we most treasure, what captures our imagination. Every heart has an inclination, something it is directed towards. The direction of the heart then controls everything. Our thinking, feeling, decisions, actions, what we most love, we find reasonable, desirable, doable. Whatever we cherish in our hearts most controls the whole person. No matter, no wonder Jesus is so concerned about our hearts. No wonder God ignores outward matters and looks supremely at the heart. No wonder the prophets in the Old Testament, the prophet said, the goal of salvation is not merely compliance, having the law written on the heart through spiritual rebirth. We always, in the end, do what the heart wants the most. So what does Jesus know? He knows the heart. Pharisees, Herodians, trying to trap him. He knows what they're actually up to. He knows you. He knows me. That this Jesus knows not just what you say to him. That's what Santa Claus does. He knows why you do it. He knows who you are and how you're made and what you want and what you desire and how you operate. He knows you to the core. And that means something. That means this. The person who already knows you, you don't have to fool. But you can bring everything, every part of your life before him. He knows everything. You get to be your real self, not your country club self, uh, not your social media self, uh, not this alter ego self, work self, whatever it is, whatever false self. He knows everything about the real you. And that's the target he has. His bullseye is that. What does he know? He knows the heart. The heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. And he's not a yes man that will nod along to whatever you say. He's the heart surgeon. He cuts to heal, not to hurt. What does he know? He knows the heart. So what this day do you need to air out? He already knows it. What this day do you need to bring to him and say, hey, this is something that's just too weighty for me and I'm tired of holding it. You know it already, so do a good work with it, Jesus. What does he know? He knows the heart. But, but, but second, what are we to do? If he knows us and he knows the Pharisees and he knows the Herodians, what are we to do in light of that? And the, and the question he asks is a black and they ask him is a black and white one. They say, hey, Jesus, there's this imperial tax. Do we pay it or not pay it? Give to Caesar or not to Caesar? What, what do we do, Jesus? They have this black and white kind of proposition. And Jesus says, you're making it far too black and white because the world is gray. And what wise living is, talk to Proverbs or Ecclesiastes or anything else, what wise living is, is living well in the gray. The weighty things in life are the things that happen in the gray, the muddied waters. And Jesus is saying, let's lean into the gray, the muddy waters. So they say, 
Pay it or not pay it? To Caesar or not to Caesar? In the ancient world, there was this uh, concept that they had. And if you wanted to know whose kingdom you were in, you would just look around. You would look around and find statues or pictures or portraits, or you'd go to the marketplace. And you wanted to know where you were, you would see what coin they accepted. And in the marketplace, the pictures, the statues, all of them attested to one person, that you were in that person's kingdom. Modern example. Uh, We were in Florida this week. And in Florida, as you go to, uh, we went to every part of Florida that didn't have a beach. And so as you're driving through Florida, um, you're driving. and, And we went to Orlando to Disney for a day. And as you're driving down 75, all of a sudden these metal poles that hold electrical lines go from just normal uh, utilitarian, uh, you know, tripods into big circles with two round ears on the top. Now, who is that? It's M-I-C-K-E-Y-M-O-U-S-E. It's Mickey. And you know, when you see that, you're you're in that mouse's territory. Right, it's Mickeyville. It's Mickeyland. You're you are near Disney. When you see that, that image attests to whose land you're in. And so they're saying, "Hey, we're in Caesar's land. Do we render to Caesar what's due to Caesar, or not? What do we do, Jesus?" And Jesus says. Bring me a coin. Now, we read this story really fast, right? We, we kind of know it. It's, a, it's only four or five verses. It's not long. We read it fast naturally, but, but we got to slow it down because it's more human. They say, hey, Jesus, you're smart. You're good. You're nice. You're kind. You, you, you're true. You speak well. You, you teach truth. Do we pay to Caesar what's due to Caesar or not? And Jesus doesn't say yes or no. Jesus says, bring me a coin. Who has a coin in here? Who has a coin in their pocket? We are in cashless uh, time. You have a coin? So, hey, Jesus, do we, do we pay to Caesar what's due to Caesar or not? Bring me a coin to which you stand up. You don't have to walk up here. You get the picture. <laughs> <laughs> they are trying to speed it up fast. And what Jesus does is set the pace of the conversation. It's a human moment, and he says, bring me a coin. They bring him a coin. And as it's slowed down, and this trap isn't intense, they're trying to trap him, he slows it down and says, who's on this coin? They say, Caesar. And what he says is, render to Caesar what's due to Caesar. He changes the pace and the tone and answers our question by not answering their question. Because he says, Render to Caesar what's due to Caesar and to God what's God's. Now, let's look at that first part real quick. What are we to do? We are to render to Caesar what's due to Caesar. It's important to camp out on this for just a second. He's saying, give to Caesar, don't glorify Caesar. Give to the IRS, give to the United States of America government, don't glorify the United States of America government. He's saying, yeah, it's there. The government's there. Now let's build this out for a quick second. He's, he's in Passion Week. He's going towards the cross when he's having this conversation. And in another gospel in, in John, 
in chapter 19, uh, Jesus is talking to Pilate, and Pilate's this uh, official who, who is about to say, hey, either I'm going to let you be crucified or I'll let you go. I've got the final say. And he says, Jesus, talk to me. Uh, tell me about you. I'm trying to let you off the hook. He says, Jesus, don't you know that I have the power to release you or to kill you? And Jesus says to him, you would not have any power unless it was given to you from above. You would have no power, Pilate, unless I gave it to you. Elsewhere in the New Testament, Paul, Romans 13, says this. Verses 1 and 6. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Verse 6. This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Paul. Now Peter, 1 Peter 2, verse 13 and on. Uh, be subject to the Lord's, for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be an emperor, a superior, uh, or to governors as said, <coughs> sorry, <coughs> uh, that was loud, as sent uh, by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, uh, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but as, as living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Mark 12, John 19, with Pilate. Paul, Romans 13. Peter, 1 Peter 2. What are they telling us? The people over us, we are to honor. God has put them there. And they are never to have worship. All loan, all the power that they have is on loan from King Jesus. And he says, recognize the kingdom because God's put them there. But never attribute the worship due my kingdom to them. Because the kingdom of God is bigger than Rome. And the kingdom of God is a lot bigger than the United States of America. The kingdom of God says, I'm in it for everybody. Every tribe, tongue, nation. Therefore, because God is on the move and claims everything, you can give to Caesar. We're able to give because when we give and relate to the people God has put over us, it shows us what we really think God has given us. And here's what I mean. If God has given you nothing, then anything that the government takes from you is a loss. They are a threat to you and your rights. At the same time, if God has given you everything, anything that's taken, it's nothing. What are we to do? As a friend of mine said, we are to be lawfully obedient citizens with discernment. Lawfully obedient. God's put them there with discernment. They are not king. What does it look like to exist as lawful, obedient uh, citizens with discernment? It means we engage the world around us for good. 
That means God's on the move of something better than any uh, agenda or administration could ever offer. And here's what that looks like. It looks like this. Miroslav Volf, a theologian, said this. He said, engagement is not a matter of either speaking or doing. Not a matter of either offering a compelling intellectual vision or embodying a set of alternative practices. Not a matter of either merely making manifest the richness and depth of interior life or merely working to change the institutions of society. Not a matter of either only displaying alternative politics as gathered in Eucharistic celebrations or merely working to change for change as a dispersed people of God. It's all of those things and above and more. The whole person in all aspects of his and her life is engaged in fostering human flourishing and serving the common good. What are we asked to do by Jesus? Render to Caesar what's due to Caesar and to God what's God's. Exist for the good around you because the king of all things has asked you to sow seeds of his kingdom. Submit to earthly rulers while always seeking renewal of the eternal ruler. That's what we're to do. We can make many applications in modernity. So my only application is this. Whatever is stirred up in your heart with that thought, parse it out. I'm going to leave it at that. What are we to do? We are to live as people who are lawfully obedient citizens with discernment. But lastly, what is his? Render to Caesar what's Caesar's. Now, if he stops there, all he's telling us to do is to be law-abiding citizens who are good boys and girls and to nod along with the government, whatever's asked of us. But we need something more than that. And he gives it to us. Render to Caesar what's Caesar's and to God's what is God's. Wherever you see the image of Caesar, yeah, give him what he's due. You're in Caesar's territory. But wherever you see my image, wherever you see the image of God, you'll know that I rule there and give me what I'm due there. That's what Jesus is saying. So where is the image of God? To your left and your right and in the mirror. In Genesis 1, 26 and 27, God says, let's make man in our image, male and female, in our image. They'll have our likeness. Our image is implanted in them. It's a reflection of who we are. So wherever you see the image of God, that's where things are due to God because you're in God's kingdom. Where is it? It's everywhere. What is it? It's everyone. Restoration Southside Church exists to restore people and places. The image of God and where the image of God is. People and places. Which means this. Everyone's relevant. Everything is relevant. So back to the original question. What's on the table when you're dealing with Jesus? And the answer is nothing's not on the table everything's on the table. That when you follow King Jesus, he says, yeah, render to Caesar what Caesar's, but render to God, let's do to God, which means 
everything. The creator of all things says, hey, it's mine. And hey, I'm up to something with it. And give it to me. Which means every part of you and every part of me can't be put off limits and sidelined and put away from the reign and rule of Jesus. But in fact, he says, bring it all to me, lay it all out of the table, because I can do a lot with it. My bullseye's at the heart, and I'm, I'm there to change that. Bring every part of you in my rule and reign because it's pregnant with glory. If you think back uh, almost 20 years now, uh, there's the, the video image uh, in the Middle East of Saddam Hussein's statue being toppled over and being pulled down and crushed. What those people were saying is, this person, this figure, no longer reigns over us. And one thing, as we follow King Jesus, that would include means that we are to pull down the statues in which this thing, whatever it may be, no longer reigns over you and I because it distorts the image of God that you are. So my question for you is, what is that statue? What is that image that you're asked to pull down because you're saying, it no longer reigns over me? Jesus does. It could be the places that you go to numb out, that you want to go to forget. It could be the places that you feel most um, uh, fragile in, that you're longing to know a better word of truth about yourself. The places you use your money, the way you cradle your money, the, the places that, that, that you have consumption in, just a little more. It's these places and more that Jesus is saying, bring to me, they're all under my rule and reign, and what you get will be a better story. Meaning this. In Colossians 1, we hear all about Jesus. How he's, we are, we bear the image of God. He Paul tells us that he's the image of the invisible God. Want to know what God is like? Look to Jesus. And here's what it says. Verse 15, the son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Want to know what God's like? Look at Jesus. 16, for in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones, powers, or authorities, rulers. All things have been created through him and for him. Everything is his. Domain and dominion everything. He's before all things, and in him all things hold together. He's the head of the body of the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. His kingdom is a kingdom that nothing will not bend a knee to. Everything reports to him. That's the guy they're trying to trap. And that guy, they're trying to trap, says, bring everything to me. Nothing's off the table. But why is that good news? It's because of this. Verse 19 and 20. For God was pleased to have his fullness dwell in him. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, making peace through the blood shed on the cross. Uh, Jesus says, when you give me all of you to me because I reign over all things, what you get is not a lack, but what you get is everything. We're amid Passion Week in this narrative. 
and at the end of Passion Week is always resurrection. In the name of Jesus, when something dies, there's always life at the end of it. And so, friends, where in your life do you need to bring to him the things in which you're saying, all I know is death in this. I want to know the story of Passion Week as a reality because I want to know resurrection. The guy who says, everything is over, everything's under my control. Everything's under me. I have power over all things. He's also saying, and you'll always find life at the other side of it. Therefore, bring it all to me. I can do much with it. Let's pray. Lord, because you've given uh, yourself for us, we can give uh, ourself to you. That's the only way it works. So this day, Lord, may we, by your spirit, have courage to look and examine the things in which you're prodding at our hearts. And Lord, give us courage to step into the light that you're calling us into, that we may know what it looks like and feels like and what the experience is to know that you are God who rules and reigns over all things and you're God who rules and reigns over all of us every part of us be with us this day Holy Spirit may we trust in the God that says I'm here for you to change you because I've given myself all for you we pray in your name Christ amen every part of us be with us this day, Holy Spirit. May we trust in the God that says, I'm here for you to change you because I've given myself all for you. We pray in your name, Christ. Amen.